and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast about old movies, weird movies, and all kinds of other kinds of movies, I guess. I am your host, James Eldred, and who is here ready to um, give their bodies willingly? Yes, prayed back into existence. It is Diamond Fight on the podcast. Yes, prayed back. Thank you, Diamond, for doing this. I appreciate it, as always. As regular listeners might know, my schedule's been erratic lately due to um, medical, non-life-threatening medical maladies. And so I wanted to cover a movie that I could talk about really, really easily. And Diamond just happened to be talking about a movie I could talk about really, really easily on Twitter a few weeks ago, which is today's movie, Cue the Winged Serpent. Wait, James, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are we not talking about the uh, the godlike entity from Star Trek The Next Generation? Q? That's a different, that's a different god. Oh, named damn Q. it. I know. Okay, okay, you it, know it what? It could be the same one. You know, everything I was going to say applies to this movie, too, so it's fine. Yeah, Every, yeah. Absolutely everything I was going to say, except for John Delancey. John Delancey, handsome man, but that's whatever. Doesn't matter. Unfortunately, John Delancey is not in Q the Wing Serpent. It has a hell of no. a cast, but he's not one of them. <laughs> Diamond, I know how you discovered this film, but why don't you share this fact for the people listening at home or in the, in the train or on a bus or wherever the hell they're listening to this? Yeah, so this came out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> literally... Just on Twitter, I guess it was a few a few months ago, um, Drew Mackey shared a clip, like just a random clip of a construction worker who's angry at his at his uh, fellow, you know, hard hat guys for taking his lunch. And he vaguely threatens them. And then an unseen monster eats him yes. and his hard hat, his hard hat falls into the streets of Manhattan. And I was like, wait, what the hell is this scene? And then you were like. Diamond, you need to see this movie. I was like, I guess I do need to see this movie. And I sure did. And I liked it a lot. And, you know, having rewatched it again yesterday before this podcast, uh, I really like this movie. I think this is a great movie. Yes. So for those who don't know, the cue of the winged serpent, in case you can't tell from the title of the film, <laughs> uh, is about a giant winged serpent who uh, lives on top of the Chrysler building and eats New Yorkers. Mm. Uh, and more there's more to it than that that's the basic that's the gist i absolutely positively love this movie my history with this goes way back i saw this on vhs tape mm. i remember a long time ago on the early internet there was one of those old movie review websites like bad movie planet or whatever that reviewed this movie and i was like i want to watch this and i was going to college in bowling green ohio at bowling green state university and the video store there, Video Spectrum, rest in peace, had a copy of the, I believe, the Anchor Bay tape mm. in a giant clamshell tape, rented it, immediately fell in love with it. The second it was on DVD, I bought it again. And I shockingly did not own the Blu-ray for this. I now It is now on the way. I'm, it, must have, it must have come out when I moved here and into Japan and just missed it in the shuffle. But I have seen Q the Winged Serpent probably close to a dozen times. It is a movie I show all my friends. It it never fails to impress. Even if they don't like it, they're impressed by the audacity of it, the New Yorkness of it, the cast, just everything about it. And I have I didn't give you this link, Diamond, but I am ranking every movie on Cinema Oblivion now. Oh, um, cool. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that link in in the chat here. You can check it out when you get when you get time. Not to spoil it, but as as of right now, Q is number five. Woo! The top ten, for those wondering, I might have said this last episode, the top ten, number ten is Smokey and the Bandit, because, I mean, come mm. on. Um, number nine is Fangs. 
Number eight is Silver Streak. Thank you, Ooh. Diamond. Number seven <laughs> is Streets of Fire. Number six is Run Lola Run. Number five is Q. Number four is Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Number three <laughs> is Alligator. Number two is Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. And number one is Sorcerer. And I don't know if I'll ever get one to top number one because that's one. That's probably one of my top top ten movies of all time. But yeah, that's my top ten list. Well, James, I, I should give credit to you because uh, first of all, anyone listening to this, you can watch this movie on YouTube. You can. Yes. But but don't do that. But. As James rightly said to me at the time, um, this movie has, it's got some visual effects in it, and the version on YouTube is very low quality, mm-hmm. and I really think, I really think if you're going to watch this movie, you know, pony up for it, rent it, uh, we love it, so I would say, you know, if you can find a deal, buy it, but I don't, don't settle for YouTube if you can, if you can avoid it, because really, this movie deserves to be seen. There are special effects that deserve to be seen. There are performances that deserve to be seen. Um, but, you know, if you're, you know, if it's 3 a.m. and you're stoned, okay, you, it's, I, I, I forgive you if you watch the YouTube version. But honestly, this movie deserves your attention and it's, it's worth looking at. This movie is great drunk, by the way. I can only imagine. It is available on most streaming services to rent and it is also available on Shudder. Mm. Uh, that's how I watched it. And the copy on Shudder looks great. And although the subtitles they can make a few mistakes, but the, the, it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it, that is a good way to watch this movie. Like I said, I am buying. I the, my I have a Blu-ray on the way, and when this comes out on 4K, I'll buy it on 4K. And when it comes out as a holographic projection, and when we're living underground, I'll I'll watch it that way. I will always own Q. But we should talk about the director, writer, producer of Q because he's a madman. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got to say, after sort of reviewing the filmography here, for, okay. <laughs> Two things. First of all, it dawned on me early in this process of, of researching this movie. I think for a long time, I mixed up this auteur with Journeyman director Rob Cohen. Oh, very different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was like, oh, yeah, the same guy. He made some wacky movies in the 70s. And later on, he made The Fast and the Furious, right? No, 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 no. That's Rob, Rob no. Cohen. No. Different, different man entirely. We're talking today about Larry Cohen. Yeah, and not Larry. and not the Cohen brothers. Nope, it's C O H E N Cohen. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, so Larry Cohen, uh, mad genius of cinema, born nineteen thirty six, passed away in twenty nineteen at the mm-hmm. age of eighty two. Started in television, first working on a lot of different TV shows. I think one of his earliest credits is the Craft Theater in nineteen fifty eight. Like the cheese um, craft? Yeah, I think I imagine that's that's, that's the craft. Yes, yeah. Okay, it's, it's with a K. So it's, it's either it's either cheese craft or a very early Mortal Kombat connection. Um, <laughs> then did a lot of other shows. I think most notable, he wrote a few episodes of The Fugitive, which became the movie, of course. And he was the series creator of Branded. I have not seen Branded because I am not a baby boomer. But yeah, uh, my dad loved Branded. Uh, I forgot who's in Branded. No, um, Chuck Connors. Yes, Chuck Connors is in Branded. Has a good theme song. Um, good, good. Probably problematic now. I think it has a lot of na- native stuff that hasn't aged well. But at the time, it was a good show. He created I, that. I think I only know Branded because of the reference in the uh, the Big Lebowski. Yes, that also. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's my number one Branded reference. The guy in the Iron yes. Lung. <laughs> this is what happened in the Fuckers Ranger in the ass. Yes. Um, <laughs> After that, went to movies, started as a writer. He wrote the se- one of the sequels to The Magnificent Seven, which nobody ever talks about, and I imagine there's a reason. 
Um, yeah, I didn't even know they made sequels to that movie. <laughs> oh, there's more than one. I think, and I think eventually they became, they became TV movies. Um, Do they get more? Because because si- like the whole thing is that not everyone in the Magnificent Seven makes it to the end of the Magnificent Seven. Do they, so do they get more guys to get up to the seven again? Is that? <laughs> I imagine because it's not called the it's not called the OK Six. Yeah, you know there are there are three Magnificent Seven sequels. <laughs> he wrote The Return of the Seven. Which has the seven in that movie is Yul Brenner, Robert Fuller, Le- Julian Matios, Warren fucking Oates, um, Claude Atkins, uh, somebody named Virgilio. I'm gonna butcher that guy's name. So, so Texicaria and Jordan Christopher. So I don't know who. So yes, it went downhill. Um, mm. But it has Yul Brenner, and then. He made a few other. He wrote a few other films. I really want to see one called "Daddy Gonna Hunting." See, I uh, don't want to go see that. That sounds I, like a nightmare. <laughs> up. It's about a guy who finds out his girlfriend aborted their first baby, and now she's pregnant again and wants to kill it, or something. Or it sounds fucked up. It sounds very Larry. It sounds sounds very Larry Cohen. I'm more intrigued by Scream Baby Scream, which apparently was released the same year. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he was banging this shit out. Um, <laughs> thing of the thing, we'll get to the thing about Larry Cohen films, good or bad, they are Larry Cohen films. Yes, and they have a hook to them, or a quirk, or just an a, a je ne sais quoi. That's mm. very f- the only comparable filmmaker I can think of to Larry Cohen is Walter Hill, because Walter Hill went. Often a Walter Hill movie is a Walter Hill movie. It might suck shit. It might be fantastic, but it's a Walter Hill movie. Uh every time. Um Are you there, Diamond? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm yeah, here. Yeah. I'm 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 contemplating what you're saying, and I'm just I'm thinking about what uh, what Larry Cohen sort of represents to me. And I, I think I don't know if he he might have embraced this title, but I, I feel like every movie he makes it, it kind of looks it kind of looks like garbage. But it's got way more going on. You know what I mean? Like he's a lot of his movies definitely lean into the idea of, oh, I made this. And uh, yeah, we got some naked ladies in here. We got some violence and we got some uh, some monsters. And, you know, it's it's scruffy. It's got rough edges. Mm-hmm. But goddamn, every every one that I've seen has been really sort of intriguing to me and interesting to me. And even the ones I didn't really like, I was like. Wow, that was a movie, man. That I, was a goddamn I movie. Feel like Larry Cohen's an idea man. Yeah, and he makes a high concept idea, and it might not work a hundred percent, but it's going to get you two thirds of the way there. Mm. Uh, I have seen several of his films. I have seen Bone with Yafet Koto. I haven't seen it probably in twenty years, so I don't remember much other than the fact that it was really fucked up. <laughs> um, that's about a guy who uh, um a guy who breaks into a the home of a Beverly Hills couple and finds out that they're a goddamn mess. It's kind of mm. like a more serious version of the ref with, with Dennis Leary. Um, thank, thank you. That was my first thing in my th- I thought of yeah. the ref. <laughs> I have not seen his black exploitation films. I really want to. Um, yeah, they sound great. Yeah, Black Caesar and Hell Up in Harlem with um, Fred Fred Williamson, who is just you know the man. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, so. I want to watch those. Uh, and I also have Derville, what's his name? Derville Martin. Derville Martin, who um, Fred Williamson and Derville Martin are in a great film that I can't say the name of. 
Yeah. Um, yes. Called Boss something, which mm-hmm. I, I has come up on this podcast before. That's a great movie. Well, we could certainly say the word Dolomite. Derville Martin directed Dolomite. Oh, yes. That's right. He's directed <laughs> Dolomite. I forgot about that. Um, and then from there, he went into directing. Uh, well, I mean, after directing those Blackwood Hisson films, he kind of went, quote unquote, mainstream <laughs> with It's Alive. Mainstream? Are we, we going to call that mainstream? <laughs> that movie was a hit. Oh yeah, it's, I, 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 yeah, I, I, sh- I shouldn't, I shouldn't make, I, mean, I shouldn't make fun. It, it, it did oh, well. It made two fun sequels. Of it's alive. Yeah, it got two, two sequels two, and a remake. And a remake. And Warner Brothers asked him to make the third sequel, like by name. Um, have you? So you saw it's alive recently, right? Yeah. So I, I should, I should tell this story. So, um, way back in the in the late nineties, early aughts, uh, I worked for the post office, and that involved a lot of. Uh, off schedule, weird hours. Uh, like if I had, if I had coworkers who were out, I had to go to work really like there were days I had to be at work, like be at work at three in the morning. So like, uh. there were day- yeah, yeah. So there were days like I would work like from like three to 10 or three to 11, like really crazy ass schedule days sometimes. So I got used to the idea of waking up at weird times and I got used to the idea of just turning up, like coming on and like, okay, I'll take a shower, but What's on TV? And I would just, I click on and, you know, uh, I remember I remember I used to, I used to watch a lot of flicks. I don't know if I remember that. I don't oh, know if yeah. cable show still exists, but Probably flicks, not. Would, <laughs> flicks would air the most, the, the, the strangest movies at the strangest times. And I wouldn't always have time to watch them, but I'd always like, they always grab my attention. And one of them for sure was like, <laughs> it's alive. And I caught like a few minutes and I'm like, baby is the monster. It's a monster baby. What? Yes. So, that's a movie that has sort of frightened me by proxy for decades. And this week I finally sat down and watched it. Uh, first of all, I got to say, it is a movie about a b- monster baby. It kills people. It's a lot of blood in this movie. It is rated <laughs> PG by the Motion Picture Association of America. <laughs> you know, before PG-13, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> no, uh, I know. I, just... I mean, I, I brought up last week... Um, uh, uh, can't stop the music. The the villains people movie has full frontal male nudity in it, and it's rated PG. That is the only PG slong I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it's alive is a fucking awesome movie. Uh, I I have told the story also. I think when my my dad took my mom to see that when she was pregnant with my brother, and <sighs> no, she had no. to, the delivery scene of that movie is terrifying. Yeah, um, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that I watched this movie this week, years after having gone through <laughs> the you know the baby phase of child rearing. You know, like I'm yes. not having there's no more babies in my life. Maybe maybe you know maybe grandbabies in the future. You know, hope hopefully, but like I'm not having any more babies. I'm done with the babies. So but, I'm so grateful that I saw this movie after having had any babies. Because if I saw this movie before I had any babies, I might have been terrified to go to the hospital. And if I saw this movie when I was around a baby, I might have abandoned said baby. Like, oh, no, 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 well, no. My, can't my mom my mom had to go to the hospital. They had to leave the theater and go to the hospital. And she had to get sedated. Um, that's, that's, that's my dad. I miss you, dad. Um, it's a lot of masterpiece. Watch. It is a fucked up movie. It is the kind of movie, like, the remake, I, I guess, has doesn't hold up a candle to it. Larry Cohen hates the remake. Hated the remake. Um, it's a... It's a great movie. The other It's Alive films, It's Alive 2, It Lives Again, is kind of the same movie. Uh, um, 
with more babies. So that's fun. It's like aliens. Okay. Uh, <sighs> it's alive three. <laughs> Island of the Alive. Island of the Alive juxtaposes the idea of there are so many mutant babies being born that they shouldn't. They should stop. Also, that movie begins with a woman giving birth in a taxi. The the cop realizing it's a mutant baby and then shooting her in the crotch. It's uh, kind of like yeah. slamming the bar door, barn door and shut after the after the horse has escaped. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, the, the baby's still in the crotch. Anyway. Oh, um, okay. He misses. Uh, but that movie gives the idea, what if instead of murdering these mutant babies, we just threw them on an island somewhere? And then what about a few years later, we go investigate and, uh, no, uh-oh, those babies are growing up and they're fucking. Um, that movie is fucking bonkers. I, I highly recommend that movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like I got to finish the trilogy. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, it's a lot. You can skip two. Just watch three. And three really? has okay. Michael, three, three has Michael Moriarty in it, who we'll get to in a minute. Uh, other Cohen films I've seen, I saw very recently, I saw Special Effects, which was okay. That has the man's name, who I can never pronounce, uh, Eric Bog, the guy from Talk Radio. Um, Bogosian, Eric Bogosian. Eric Bogosian and Zoe Lund from Miss 45 in, in, in her, I think, her only speaking role, because in Miss 45 is a mute. Uh, that was interesting. It's, it, he, Larry Bogosian plays a director who kills somebody and then makes a movie about it. Mm. Um, good idea. Not the best execution, like a lot of mediocre Larry Cohen films. And I also watched, I saw God Told Me Too, and you saw that one also. I did. I watched that yesterday. Uh, I <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't resist. It just it seemed so bizarre. And I gotta say, you know, you tune into this movie, and you know, the movie right away hits you up with this you know, the premise of what if people started just committing random acts of murder, and right before they die, they're like, "God told me to." And one of the first killers you see in the movie, I stopped the movie and ran to the computer. It's like, wait, wait, is that? Yes, one of the one of the first killers you see is goddamn Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, with no speaking, no line other than God told me to. That's his only line. God told me to. Line. God that, told me to shoot him at St. Patrick's yeah. Day Parade. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a weird fucking movie. And the less we say about that, the better, because I think that one's worth watching cold. Yeah, uh, I, all I'm going to say is the the that premise that I described it kind of goes away because it becomes a different movie entirely by the end. <laughs> it's a str- that is a wacky movie. Uh, yeah, you're not. I, no one is prepared for Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch, just B movie extraordinaire actor who I know is a Nazi from one of the Puppet Master movies. Uh, <laughs> Richard Lynch <laughs> appears in that movie, and I'm not going to say who he plays, but when he shows up, you you will be transfixed by his yeah. appearance. You will be. It's you a, will not look away. You will. You will no, want to look will away, not. but yeah. you will not look away. Yeah. And I think the other one we both watched recently was the stuff, which I, is probably Larry Cohen's most most famous qu- slash infamous film. Yeah. Let me tell you about the. Let me tell you about the stuff. Okay. So yeah. I think you'll appreciate the story. Again, many many years ago, I was probably you know I'm gonna guess you know teenager or maybe preteen. We are up in the mountains somewhere on a ski trip. We are dining in a restaurant. A, must not must not have been a fine dining experience because it was like next to or even sharing a space with a video store somehow. And that sounds great while, to me. Okay, no, but but here's hear me out here. We're sitting there and I'm getting ready to eat, 
And what's in full view of our for their throughout our entire evening is a horrific poster for the stuff. Not the poster, by the way, that's shown, I think, most often, but a different poster where there's three people around a fridge and they're like melting. I've seen that poster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you can Google it, but it's like the, the, the poster you see on Letterboxd, and I think most often is like one guy, and it looks like he's kind of like like he's sort of like foaming at the mouth or whatever, and like he's got like like he looks like he's all like he's he's kind of he's slowly becoming blobby. But like no no, <laughs> the one that I saw as a kid was like three people outside a fridge, they're all melting, they're all clearly in pain, mm-hmm. and I'm just like what the hell is that movie? What the hell is that movie? <laughs> and uh, listeners, the actual movie is actually kind of funny. Like it's got some horror stuff in. I, I would still call it a horror movie, but like it is way more satirical and jokey than anything else. You know, it's so about, yeah, it's about killer ice cream. Yeah, it's a new dessert. And it threatens it threatens the ice cream, uh, you know, the, the ice cream bigwigs. So they hire yes. Michael Miarty to figure out, hey, go go break into that company and find out what's wrong with the uh, what is this magic dessert everyone's eating? And uh, well, you're not ready for what that is. Although it's kind of no. it, it's weird. It's almost like there's not really a mystery of that movie because they show you what the what the stuff is right away. Yeah, because a man a man finds it. A man finds it in the ground and eats it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the stuff is the stuff is also a lot like it. It's a lot, a lot like special effects, and a little bit like Q because Q kind of fumbles the third act. It's 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 one of those. It's a great idea, and the execution is two thirds of the way there. And it has, I will say, the stuff. Some some of the effects are fantastic, and some and are terrible. Some, <laughs> yeah, some of the, like there's some blue screen stuff that is really fucking bad, like just terrible blue screen. But and like, it feels like half, the, like a third of the movie was cut out. Like exactly, yeah. There's a lot of stuff where it's like, I really do feel like some, like he made him, like Cohen made a movie, and someone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's got to be, it's got to be under a hundred minutes, Larry. Uh, chop out fifteen minutes. Like someone told him to chop out fifteen minutes. It's like, all right, all right, I'll do what I can. Uh, but yeah, I keep thinking of it. there's a scene where it's like, the stuff is on a bed, and they're in a mm-hmm. hotel, and like, the stuff attacks a guy, but he's on the wall. But they yeah. must have filmed it sideways because yeah, the totally, stuff is like totally. pouring yeah. onto the wall and like smashing him against the wall. But it's like it's shot that at scene an angle. Is dope. Yeah, that was I was that was blowing my mind. I was like, oh man, how? Oh wow! Like that was that was great. And the stuff like when it's moving around, I don't know. Like it looks way cooler than any of those slime movies. Like mm-hmm. Ghostbusters two came out what two years later and looks like shit. Uh, the stuff <laughs> looks the stuff looks great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Watch the stuff. And I, I've seen a few of the films he's been involved with. Like, he wrote and produced Maniac Cop. Maniac Cop's great. And he made a movie I want to see, a TV movie called called See China and Die. Wait, what? <laughs> See That's China and Die. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. It was a pilot, a failed pilot for a detective show starring Esther Roll. That's the the mom from Good Times. Yeah? Yeah. Um. <laughs> So I want to watch that. Uh, I want to see the ambulance, which is the one with uh, James Old Jones and Eric Roberts. That sounds great. Uh, and I want to see, like again, his 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 black exploitation films. Uh, as a writer, he did okay. He did pretty good for himself too. After his directing career kind of dried up, he did the story for the Abel Ferreira version of Body Snatchers, which is really good. 
Uh, That's the 90s version? The 90s version on the military okay. base, yes. Also, totally, Eric Bogdosian, whatever his name is, in special effects, is playing Abel Ferreira. Like, oh. he, that is Abel Ferreira. It's because he's, he's, a, he's a prick. Anyway, um, but I think his most famous film as a writer is Phone Booth. Yeah, which is wild to me because Phone Booth is 2002. Mm-hmm. Two years later, they make Cellular 2004. <laughs> yes. And, you know, Larry Cohen himself has talked about this. Like, he basically made the same movie again, but he's, he's slightly trained. Like, Phone Booth is about a guy who picks up the phone in a phone booth and is held there at gunpoint by a sniper mm-hmm. for the rest of the movie. And it's um, Joel, Joel, Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher directed, directed it. Very, very well-directed film. Yes. And, yeah, two years later, you have Cellular uh, starring a very young Chris Evans. Yes. And he basically picks up a random cell phone and finds a woman at the other end of the cell phone who says she's in danger and he tries to help her. So it's like, it's this, <laughs> it's very similar present like premise, <clears throat> but very different movies. Both of them, I think, are really exciting. I, for the for life of me, I cannot, I didn't look it up. Who did Cellular? I can't remember who directed Cellular. Cellular is by a guy named David R. Ellis. David R. Ellis directed Final Destination, Snakes on a Plane, and uh, oh yeah, well he directed the Final Destination and the Final Destination Two, Snakes on a Plane, and also Homeward Bound Two. Oh, uh, okay, so not you know, not really a notable not, guy. All not right, a, yeah, yeah. his most recent film was 2011's Shark Night 3D. E, so, okay, so whatever. And he, it right. looks like he's doing some TV now, and also some. Oh, he's back down to second unit director, so his career took a turn. Uh, but yeah, I I um. Yeah, uh, I saw a phone booth for the first time last week. Um, mm. That's a very good film. Um, there needs to be more major studio productions that are under under ninety minutes long. <laughs> uh, yeah, you you said it, like every every studio by law should what make a movie with with like no with no CGI and like ninety minutes well, less, long and just less than five. Some, sometimes CGI is just like, it's just like practically used like to get rid of stuff. You know, or like hide hide mistakes. That's fine. You know, make a movie with no no with less than five minutes of CGI. That's under eight. That's under ninety minutes. Go for it. You know, because uh, Phone Booth's a great movie. Uh, Colin Farrell's fantastic in it. Um, Roger Mitchell is in that. I I miss her. <laughs> uh, she was in uh, The Crazies and Pitch Black. Um, uh, and isn't Katie Holmes? Isn't Kiefer, isn't Kiefer the sniper on the Kiefer's phone? The sniper. Kiefer's a sniper. Forrest Whitaker's the cop. Katie Holmes is the other woman, uh, Toledo, Ohio's own Katie Holmes, my home, my hometown, and uh, Rada Mitchell's the wife, and that's a, that's a fun movie. Uh, it, you should check that movie out if you haven't. Like again, eighty yeah. minutes long. And then and, yeah, Cellular has young Chris Evans, and I believe it's uh, isn't Jason Statham like one of the bad guys who's trying to kill Chris seen, Evans? I haven't seen Cellular yet. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, Jason Statham, Noah Emmerich, Willem Dafoe as a cameo, Jessica Biel. Uh, yeah. Kim Basinger, Kat, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, cat. Kim Basinger Wait, is the is the woman on the is the woman on the other end who's in trouble. Cool, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. I, I want to watch that. Uh, but after those two, he did a few more. He did Captivity, which looks gross. I haven't seen that. Um, that's very torture porny. I don't think he liked it. Yeah, uh, I mean, two thousand seven. That tracks. Yeah, very after. And then another. There was a. Uh, he got a story credit on a Chinese remake of Cellular. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the remake of It's Alive. Which I believe he hated. Uh, what did he say? Yes, he said it's a terrible picture. It's beyond awful. 
I would advise anybody who likes my film to cross the street and avoid seeing the new enchilada. <laughs> so there you go. And then his last movie was something called Messages Deleted, which is another phone-based. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds like one film. last call or something. Yeah, that didn't get a made, that has Matt, that has Matthew Lillard. That did not get a major release, and <laughs> he passed away, like I said, uh, in 2019. Uh, hell of a career, hell of a guy. And he's done even more than the stuff we've mentioned. He's a big influence on, on a lot of directors. Most Larry Cohen films are worth watching, even if they're bad. So this one's not yeah. bad. This one's great. But yeah, he's a, he's a, he was a madman. <laughs> There's yeah, also a documentary in, about him called King Cohen I have not seen because I can't find it in Japan. But I do want in to watch going it. Over, in going over the list, I kind of wanted... I, I, remember, I remember when it came out at the time because I was working in a the movie theater at the time and we didn't, we didn't get it at our theater and... It had a really tiny opening and it bombed, so I never actually saw it. But his last directing credit in 1996, original was, gangsters, yeah, original gangsters with with the A there, and it was yes. just kind of like this all star lineup of black exploitation, you know, like big wigs from the you know from the 70s. Fred Williamson is in it. I think he co produces. Pam Greer is there. Richard Roundtree, who we'll get to in a minute, is there. And you know, maybe the movie's not good. Maybe the movie sucked. I don't know. But like just. Having those people get together in the '90s kind of sounds like a good time. So I really that movie, do. That movie even has dope white dudes in it. That movie has, <laughs> that movie has a uh, Wings Howard, Wings Ooh. Howard, Charles Napier, Robert Ford, and then the main cast is um, uh, Ron O'Neill. That's Superfly. Richard yeah. That Shaft. Uh, Oscar Brown. I don't know who Oscar Brown is, unfortunately. Uh, Paul Winfield, who's awesome. Mm. Uh, Pam Greer, Jim Brown, and Fred Williamson. Uh, I don't know if it's any good. He didn't write it. He just directed it. Uh, so, but I remember that that movie sold well at my dad's company. So I do want to check that one out too. I, again, a bad Larry Cohen film is still sometimes interesting. Mm-hmm. And the slasher Uncle Sam. <laughs> About Uncle Sam. That that has that's a that's a whole other thing. Anyway, okay. Google it later. But we should move on. We've been talking about the director for almost half an hour now. Really quick, the producer. This movie had a lot of producers. The main one is not credited. It is Samuel Z. Zarkoff, who I feel is always worth mentioning. I have not mentioned yet on this podcast. I don't think so, but you've probably seen his name in front of movies. He was the founder of American International Pictures (AIP), mm. which was Roger Corman's big studio. Oh yeah, definitely a lot of. I I, I don't want to conflate them too much because I think Roger Corman, while a huge name, I don't think Roger Corman, like you don't you can't necessarily tell if a Roger Corman movie like if he made it or if someone else made it or he hired somebody to make it where it's like Larry Cohen movies, like have a Larry Cohen feel Roger Corman, just kind of like his name evokes an image, but I don't feel like he's got like a style. I don't I mean, am I, I'm out of my line here. You think as a director, his style is let's make the movie in a week. Yeah. As a producer, his style is let's get people cheap. So mm. Roger Corman's biggest influence is as a producer. Cause he, right. you know, he helped launch the career of Scorsese, Coppola, Ron Howard, um, Peter Bogdanovich, all these people, Jim um, Cameron, Jim Cameron, yeah, yeah, Jim Cameron, you know, 
and a lot of actors. Jack Nicholson, another big one. Uh, but as a director, he made a few interesting films. His Poe movies, his Edgar Allan Poe films, uh, especially Mask of Red Death, is a beautiful movie. And I believe Arkoff produced those. Arkoff produced <laughs> hundreds of movies. He's mm. responsible for the Beach Party movies. Um, he's one of the main people who made Black Plotation a thing. He just not like he made he produced the Black Plotation Exorcist Abbey. <laughs> Okay. Uh, which I've always wanted to see. I think that I think they got him sued. Uh, this was made late in his career. He had left AIP. He he left AIP to form AIP, Arkoff International Pictures, and they only released a few movies. He this is the only one I guess he really worked on at all. The other ones he just kind of gave money. The last movie he worked on was a movie called Hellhole, which I love, which has Mary Warnov in it, but it's not very good. And he passed away in 2001. And Larry Cohen said that Arkoff was trying to make movies throughout throughout the 80s and 90s and c- couldn't get any money, mm. which is a shame. But he's a major factor in the kind of films, if you're listening to this podcast, the kind of films you like, Samuel Zarkoff made those. <laughs> so you should seek him out. But I feel like we should move on to the cast. Yeah. Because this movie has a murderer's row. Just amazing cast. Everyone's great in it, for sure. Everyone's great in it, especially our lead, Michael Moriarty. <laughs> yeah, Holy he shit. really he grabs he really grabs the camera and he he really grabs your attention from the from the first moment you see him on in the movie and he's like, Oh yeah. And I, I feel like because he hasn't worked in a while, I feel like a lot of people might not remember Michael Moriarty, but he worked a lot and he worked a lot on TV and like he you might you might recognize him, you might not recognize him, but he 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 got a lot of he got a lot of jobs in there. Yeah, he, he started out in the 70s, like, kind of hit the ground running. He was in Bang the Drum slowly with De Niro, then then yeah. unknown De Niro. Yeah. And The Last Detail with Jack Nicholson by, by Hal Asby. And then a great TV version of The Glass Menagerie with Katherine Hepburn and Sam Watterson, which is funny because Sam Watterson would, would replace Michael Moyarty on Law & Order. Yes. Um, Moyarty won, won an Emmy for that. He has won at least two Emmys and at least one Golden Globe. Um. He, he won a Golden Globe and an Emmy for the Holocaust miniseries where he played a Nazi. Um, but I feel like his career kind of peaked there because Michael Mo- from what I understand of Michael Moriarty, he's a prick. Probably. He's crazy. <laughs> Definitely. And he's a right-wing asshole. Oh, well. So like he's written all this stuff about the New, the New World Order being and United, Na- United Nations being controlled by communists and Islam and all this bullshit. Um he, my favorite Michael Moriarty story is how he left, quote unquote, left or was fired from Law and Order. <clears throat> so he was the original district attorney, district attorney on that show. Yeah, and this was during the time when the government was kind of trying to crack down on violence on TV. And Janet Reno allegedly <laughs> intimidated the producers to make the show less violent, and he spoke out against it and was fired. That's what he says. Um. Dick Wolf says he quit. <laughs> Who I mean, either knows? Way, either way, you, you get Sam Watterson coming in, and, and Sam Watterson made that role his own, and that's that, like that's the guy everyone remembers now. So yeah, but, totally, yeah. totally. Before Watterson and, was on that show, uh, it, the the main lawyer was Moriarty. Yes, yes. And uh, ever since then, he's kind of been all over the place. Um, you know, he, his career in the '80s was also kind of scattershot. He did a lot of stuff like this, a lot of Larry Cohen films. He is, however. Most importantly, the first Harry Potter. <laughs> because 
Uh, Michael Moriarty is in Troll from 1986. Uh, he is Harry Potter Sr. And Harry Potter Jr. is the hero of that film. I am not joking. Those are the names of the characters in that. This movie about wizards and trolls and witches, the, ma- the, two her- the hero of the film is a little boy named Harry Potter. And his dad is named Harry Potter. Uh, I wish someone would make a, a remake of Troll because they could do that. <laughs> and they yeah. could call the character Harry Potter and there ain't shit that, that motherfucker could do about it. Yeah, they should do like a Never Say Never Again trick. You know, it's like, oh, we, we have the rights to this other movie starring Harry Potter, not, it would not be, your movie. <laughs> it would be so great. But yeah, I, I and also the tro- Troll's a good movie. Troll 2, obviously not. Troll is a good movie. That movie has June Lockhart in it. That movie has Sonny Bono. That movie has Julius Dreyfus. That's a fun movie. Watch Troll. <laughs> uh, alongside Michael Moriarty, we have David Carradine as Detective Shepard. Now, you make a joke every time, uh, 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 James, about, oh, everyone's favorite Carradine. Is David your favorite Carradine, for real? Who is I your favorite Carradine? Or- David, it's David, it's David. Okay. It's David. I mean, David, David, sadly, sadly, David has the most consistent filmography. Because <laughs> um, John was in, God, how many movies? Like, hundreds upon hundreds. And and um, that's his dad. And yeah. his his brothers um, were, you know, Keith Carradine, Robert Carradine, not as not as not as well known um keith carradine is everyone's i think you could, if you're gonna rank carradines i'm gonna go david john keith robert uh what about bruce who also appears in this movie bruce carradine bruce carradine yeah he's apparently the the guy in the towards the end the the third victim okay is he like another half brother I don't know. According to Larry Cohen, he says, I don't think they have the same mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, um, Robert and Keith are his half-brothers. Okay. Because uh, John was married four or five times and also was in a relationship with, with Barbara Hershey overlapping <laughs> some of those relationships. So I would not be surprised if John Car- if David Carradine uh, has brothers and sisters he might not know about. Um, who knows? I. Uh, this is kind of a weird. T- this is right at the, kind of the post kung fu, near the end of his original career. I would like his 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 starring his roles career. His hot streak. His hot. I mean, quote unquote hot streak. Yes, because he was in kung fu, of course, and then went straight into B movies. Death Race two thousand. Castle of Frankenstein. I love I love Death Race 2000. That's Death such a Race great movie. 2000 is a perfect film. Yeah. And Pre-Rocky a lot of other Salone too. Yeah, like, yes, yeah, Salone's in that. Mary Warnoff again, directed by Par Bartel. Fantastic film. And then he kind of went up and down after that. He's in an Igmar Bergman film called The Serpent's Egg. He's in Thunder and Lightning, Circle of Iron, and this is kind of his last quote-unquote major film. Until uh, well, he was in Lone Wolf McQuaid, McQuaid after this. Okay. And throughout the 80s, he didn't do much because apparently also David Carradine was kind of a prick. Um, also drugs. Mm. But I think he's very good in this, kind of kind of, kind of of playing it very casual, kind of off the cuff. Like uh, for a guy who's involved in a murder case involving people being flayed alive and a giant winged god, he's handling it pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very little, very little things in this movie actually phase him. <laughs> yes, yes. He's, he's very chill, and he's very good in this. And working with him as Sergeant Powell is Shaft, Richard Roundtree. Um, always love to see Richard Roundtree. Always love to see Richard Roundtree. Unfortunately, Richard Roundtree had did not has not had the best career. Hmm. Uh, I think you know, black leading man in Hollywood in the seventies, kind of hard. He played Shaft like five, like four times. He was on a TV show, and then he was an earthquake, and then a lot of crap and TV. Uh, he's done pretty good as, as a supporting actor, I would say. He was in Seven, Speed Racer. Yep. Uh, I just saw him last week in a film called An Eye for an Eye, which is a Chuck Norris movie with Richard Roundtree, Mako, and Christopher fucking Lee. Wow. And it's terrible. Oh, <laughs> I really? know. I know. I was so bummed. Christopher Lee's barely in it, and he's sitting down for most of the movie. Mako's great in it. Mako steals the movie. Uh, and every scene that Mako's in it, you're like, why don't we have more Mako? And Richard Roundtree's fine, but he's just the the, the, the police chief. You know, he's just like, oh, this will be your badge, you know, type character. And yeah. I, I think he has a bit more to work with here. Is it Mako or Mako? I would assume that it was Mako. I mean, sure. That makes more yeah, sense, I, I guess. I guess it's a nickname, so it could go either way. Like it's it's sort of like a nickname stage name. So I don't know. I don't know how he well, how he pronounced it. But his name is Makoto, so I guess it would exactly. be Mako. But but who who knows how he pronounced it? I've never heard it said. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he point. was he was a Japanese American, so he, he could go either way. You know, that's true. If he was true. If he was if he was a Jap- if he was like an adult in Japan, it'd be Mako for sure. But I you I think you name yourself M A K O. You're going for the shark thing, right? I mean, look, that's. <laughs> Let's get personal. That's that's my wife's name. So oh, okay. um, a lot of but so there have been there have been Americans who have called her Mako and I'm like no 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 her name is Mako. But yeah, and because because he was an actor and that's a stage name, I guess it could go either way. I I've actually yeah like you said I've seen it in credits a hundred times. I've heard I you know his voice. I'll never forget his voice, but I've never heard him say his name. So yeah yeah who knows. Shrug. But anyway, enough about him. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have to say, though, if we're talking about Richard Roundtree and Shaft, I got to tell someone about this because this is so weird to me, okay? Mm-hmm. Richard Roundtree, Shaft, it's a career-defining role. He played it again and again and again. So in the year 2000, they make Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it's underrated. I think it's an underrated movie. It's not a classic, but I think it's pretty good. Kristen Bale's amazing in that movie. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the prick. He's the oh, fucking God, prick. He's so and good he's in that huge. movie. Yeah. He's a, a a monster. Um oh my god, what's her name? I forgot her name. Uh Australian Tony actress. Collette. Yes, Tony Collette is the sort of the the harried victim. Uh she's she's great in that movie. But in that movie, they bring in Richard Roundtree, and I'm sure in the original script they were gonna have him play Shaft's dad, but Richard Roundtree is only six years older than Sam Jackson. It's like, oh okay, <laughs> he's He's your uncle. He's your uncle. So it's uncle. Sh- it's uncle Shaft. All right, fine. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's a very small part. He shows up. He he leaves a bar with two women. It's like okay, yeah, yeah, we him. got you. A few years ago, so many years after Shaft from two thousand, I want to say yeah, twenty nineteen. Netflix makes another Shaft movie. I think it's just called Shaft. And yeah, yeah. you got Samuel Jackson back. You got Richard Roundtree back, and you've got a new younger actor who I guess is supposed to be the third generation. Yeah, and, JJ Shaft. Yeah, Jesse T. Usher. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's way more comedic than you'd expect. But in this movie, 
they retcon everything. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just pretended to be your your uncle. I'm actually your dad. And I'm just like, this listeners, <laughs> that's me. It's me slapping my forehead. Because come on, it's come on. Well, you are Samuel almost the Jackson, same age. <laughs> in, in the movie's defense, Samuel Jackson does not look seventy four. <laughs> I know, I know. Samuel Jackson doesn't. He ages. He ages wonderfully. And at this point, they're probably you know doing a layer of CGI over every, all his movies just to make it exactly, look even better. Exactly. But still, come on. Yeah, come that's on. That's a weird one. I, I didn't see that movie because I, I heard it was terrible. Uh, I, that I was can't release that one. No, that was released in theaters in America. In Japan, it was on Netflix. Oh, okay. I thought, but didn't like they must have co-produced that it, right? Kind of like in, the... in America, it was released theatrically. Oh, in right. every other country, it was on Netflix. I want because this is a very macho manly cast, but Candy Clark is in this movie, and I love Candy Clark. Yeah, um, I did not recognize her name, but uh, she's got a she's she, not only she's great in this movie, but she has a lot of credits that surprised me. Yeah, I mean, see, she's an Oscar-nominated actor for American nice. Graffiti, and she's one of the only good things. Hey, look, I love David Bowie, but The Man Who Fell to Earth is a shitty movie, and she is great in it, and. From there, she's in a lot of good genre films. She's in this. She's in Blue Thunder, which fucking rules. Yeah, uh, you, you convinced me to watch that movie, and it does rule. That movie, that movie fucking rules. Uh, yeah. Amityville 3D, which is my favorite of the original Amityville films, but it's fucking dumber than shit. Uh, <laughs> and she's in Cat's Eye and then The Blob. And then in the, the 90s. Blob, right? The 80s Blob, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in the 90s, she was in Cool as Ice with, ice, with Vanilla Ice and <laughs> kind of laid low since then. She was in The Informant. She was in Zodiac. She was in that new Twin Peaks show. So she's still working. I love Candy Clark. Candy Clark's another example of how Hollywood sucks for women because she's a great actor. Uh, and you wanted to mention, I think, a lot of that guy's in this movie, a lot of character actors. Yeah, well, I just, there's a lot of small actor. Okay, there's no small actors, only small parts. But there's an actor in this movie who doesn't get a lot of screen time, but the second I saw him, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I had to Google him. So I believe his, I'm going to try his name here, John... Capo Capodice? It's an Italian that name. Right. It's Italian. Yeah. It's Italian um, as fuck. <laughs> yeah. He is, yeah. He is the quintessential Italian American, in my opinion. You listeners, I guarantee you have seen this man before. You don't know his name, but you've seen him because he has played so many parts. So he's a he's a thug in this one. He's a he's a he's a crook. He's a goon. Um he's done that a lot of movies. But he's also been in a lot of cop movies. He's one of the cops in Ace Ventura who gets into it with Jim Carrey. Uh, he plays a lot of drivers. He's the bus driver in Speed, not the one on the bus you're thinking of. He's the, the first bus. Like a, yeah. Yeah, he's the one who gets into it with Keanu at the at the muffin shop, and then he gets blown up. He also drives the cab for the Phantom, the Billy Zane Phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the cab driver in that movie. Um, he tends, I've noticed, he plays a lot of New York guys. He's actually from Chicago, but, you know, I'm not angry. I'm not angry at him. Uh, and I just got to shout out to them. Okay, 80s kids remember this. He is the pizzeria owner in the goddamn string cheese commercial where the kids order string cheese. I'm like, yeah, give me an extra cheese with nut. You know, hold the tomato sauce. Hold the crust. That's him. He's the pizzeria guy. He's like, hold the tomato sauce. Hold the crust. Yeah. So, when yeah. you linked to that, I was like, what the fuck? Oh, fuck that commercial. Yeah. So yes. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a lot of shit. And uh, he's very, he's not in this movie very long. But he he has a face 
He's like when you sort of see if you if you see him like in SD from a distance, you're like, is that Dennis Farina? <laughs> that- he's he's kind of like Dennis Farina in in not as like in worse shape. You know, he's he's if Dennis Farina if Dennis if Dennis if Dennis Farina and Big Pussy had a baby, <laughs> it'd be oh, it would be John Capadice. Yeah, uh, last I checked, still with us. You know, yeah. God bless him. Yes. Um, unlike a Farina who's been gone for about a decade now, so yeah. Mm. And Eddie Jones is the Watchman, and he's in a lot of stuff too. The another the, face, yeah, another face. Everyone's gonna recognize. Uh, but he's like, he doesn't have as big a role on any in any one thing. I think the biggest thing he probably ever played was he was Jonathan Kent Clark's dad on Lois and Clark back in the in the nineties. That's probably the biggest thing he ever did. You know, <laughs> telling that's telling Superman funny. that he's he's gonna be okay. You know, that's 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 the kind of role he but. It's good. He work. often he played a lot of. You know, he's like a security guard in this movie. He he def, he also played a lot of cops and a lot of like a lot of heavies, a lot of pricks. You yeah, know, and a, a, yeah. And there's a lot of corn regulars in this. Uh, I forgot his name. There's a guy with red hair who is in almost every corn, but not corn, but every Larry Corn film. Uh, I I forget what his name was, but there's a lot of people I watch when I watch this and it's alive back to back. I'm like, hey, it's that guy again. It's that guy again. It's that guy again. It's that guy again. James Dixon. James Dixon is in every is in almost every Larry Cohen film. So if you if you like if you if you if you like character actors, it's a good movie for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we still haven't gotten to the movie, but there's still so much to talk about. The production of this movie is hilarious. Yeah, this is a wild story. I, 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 mm-hmm. This is crazy. What? So he was he had a movie and then he got fired from the movie, but he wrote another movie. <laughs> he was he was hired to, and I think he bought the rights to the book I the Jury. Uh, which is a detective story. I think, is that Mickey Spillane? Oh, Mike Hammer, yes. Mike Hammer, Mike Hammer. Yeah, Mike Hammer, Hammer sorry. By, by Mickey Spillane. Um, it's his first novel. And uh, he was going to write, he was going to direct it. He was hired to direct it. He wrote the screenplay. Uh, they cast it with Armando Sante. The cinematography is by Andrew Laszlo, who's a, a big deal. They music by Bill Conti. They get ready to shoot it and they fire him. Yeah, and the story I heard was that he like after after like a week he was already way over budget. So that's they didn't the story, like that. yes. Um and then he was he heard the producers say to the crew that Larry Cohen will be leaving the hotel that they're staying at. And Larry Cohen was like, fuck you, I am. Uh, <laughs> and within a week, he was doing work on Cue the Winged Serpent. I think he had a script kind of half ready. He got the idea because he said that the he he he's like he said uh, skyscrapers look like pyramids, and from there he got the idea for the but the Aztec connection to the film and all that stuff. Uh, while they were casting, while they were finishing the script, they were working on special effect shots. They were working on second unit stuff, extra stuff. They got a lot of the crew with like um, Michael Moriarty got a script, but. Uh, Carradine agreed to do the film without a script. Same with Candy. I don't think Richard Roundtree had a script. Carradine was so nervous when they started filming it, he threw up because there was no script. Uh, Really, like, haphazard, they saw it in 18 days. 18 Um, days? 18 days. No permits, for the most part, except for the Chrysler building where they just lied. Because when the scenes in the... The scenes in the top of the Chrysler building, they are in... They are on top of the Chrysler building. Yeah, we, we uh, need to stress this. Like they they shoot, you know, they the Chrysler building. First of all, if you haven't seen it lately, you know, look just Google it. It is one of the most beautiful buildings in all of New York City. 
Uh, I think these days it's probably most famous because uh, in the Avengers, Thor climbs on the Chrysler building and he electrifies the portal that the monsters are coming in. Like that's that's the Chrysler oh, okay. building. It's a okay. Gorgeous building. They shoot a lot of lobby stuff. It's a beautiful lobby. But then it's like, no, no, no. They go all the way up to the top and they're in the goddamn rafters. It is this. It's like it's this disused place full of like you know, you know, spools of wire and shit. It's like what the hell are they doing in there? It's like terrifying. And you, yeah. You've got to imagine. You've got to imagine. Yeah, they didn't tell anybody. They just you know they ran in there. They shot some stuff and it's just whatever. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 and that one day apparently the power went out and they couldn't leave because they were gonna they would they would fall and die. And <laughs> yeah, so that's very that's very Larry Cohen and all this sweet stuff. There's no permits. Handheld camera. Uh, minimal crew, very by the seat of his pants. Got it they, done. No, they un- must have. They must. Have, I must say, they must have gotten some really good uh, a helicopter pilot around because there's a lot of wonderful aerial shots in this movie that oh, yeah. are. I guess. I guess the idea is it's, it's POV from the monster because they do a lot of circling of the buildings and, like you said, any roof that has like weird stuff on it, it circles that. And, like you can almost imagine like the monsters looking at interesting things on the roofs of New York City. So like any building that has like a pyramid or a cone or just a mm-hmm. really big goddamn statue, it's like they'll circle it a couple times and like, oh, yeah, it's the monsters looking around. And it really even without any without any like overlays, without any sort of, you know, grumbling, you sort of get the feeling. Oh, yeah, the monster's checking out the checking out the city. He's yeah. looking around, you know, he's he's seeing what I say. He it's probably she uh, it's, you know, the monster's checking things out. So I, I think. That's it's like it's you know it's environmental storytelling is what it is those those yes. aerial photography <laughs> and and it's 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 also budget storytelling because you can you can show and you can show a lot without showing anything kind of the uh, the um, alien approach you know mm. don't show the alien and you know I the jury came out cost twelve million dollars to make made less than two million dollars apparently bankrupted the studio according to Wikipedia Q made only a quarter of a million dollars I don't believe them. I imagine this movie played in theaters throughout the course of a year and then did very well on HBO. Regardless, it only cost a million dollars to make. So it 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 made its money. It it did better than regardless, it, it did better than either jury because it didn't bank Absolutely. the studio. It got pretty decent reviews when it came out. Some of my favorite ones were uh like the a lot of reviews of this about how good Michael Moriarty is. Yeah, I, I don't think we can really undersell this. And and one of He's the funniest things, fucking incredible. Yeah, one of the funniest things which you've noted here is that so you meet this guy, and the guy's the guy's name is Jimmy Quinn, uh, which is easier to say than Moriarty. So I'm gonna say Quinn a lot when we talk about the movie. But you meet Quinn in a Chinese restaurant. He's eating. He's very nervous. He's very talkative. And the next time you see him, he's in a bar trying to get trying to get a job as piano player. And that just that all comes about because you know. Michael Moriarty actually played a piano, and so Cohen wrote it into the script. And so you get this, you get this really fluid, natural scene of this guy just coming on in and you know tickling the ivory, so to speak. And he's playing the piano, and you could tell he's you know he's really into it, and he's good at it. Um, he's a, he's a terrible singer, but oh, he's a terrible he's, singer. <laughs> he's it's just it's a really fun character bit, and it's, it's, he's like that throughout the entire movie. He's always nervous. He's always agitated. Even when he's happy, he seems like he's angry at somebody, and he just—he is absolutely the main character of this movie. You know, like, he is more of the—he's more of the character. He's like this movie's more about him than any monster. He and is the that, main character, and that scene was written like the day before they filmed it. And my favorite part of that scene is David Carradine's there, 
And yep. he, he finds out he doesn't get the job because the, the bartender plays, plays a jukebox. That is just and the ultimate, like, your audition. You did is not over, get sir. the job. <laughs> and he's going to leave. And Kaolin says, I thought you were pretty good. And he says, Well, what the fuck do you know? It's just, it, I don't, it's such a well written scene and, 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 a, and a movie full of them. Yeah, and it's just it's just a coincidental little it's a coincidental meeting, and then when they meet later, it comes up, and it's nothing like it doesn't break the story. It doesn't you know it doesn't magically you know it's not a twist or anything. It's just kind of like they meet once, they begin the movie, they meet again later in a very different circumstances, and he's kind of like, yeah, I saw you play the piano, and like they kind of flip it a little bit, but it's it's a really nice. Yeah, they've got a lot of I think almost every actor in this movie has a great scene with another actor, like all like the stuff with Carradine and Shaft is great because they're they're both cops but they, they kind of don't like each other mm-hmm. and you know the stuff with Carradine and Quinn in the diner is fantastic oh, it's amazing you yeah. know all the stuff with Quinn and his girlfriend Candy like those scenes are so great because she's she's trying to be nice to him and he's kind of a prick uh but you can tell he must like he must have some part of him that she's really into and she she tries to reach out to him and then eventually she, you know he goes too far and you could tell, you could see in her face, you could see it in her face as she looks at him. It's like, oh man, I believed in you and you fucking went too far, you asshole. And it's all in her face. She just, all the actors in this movie are just fan. I, I love all the interactions in this movie. Even the fucking weirdos, even the weirdos in this movie have great scenes. Yeah. And that's why it got such good reviews. Like one reviewer, uh, Joe uh, Baltake from the Philadelphia Daily News, said it was the best of its kind since Alligator, which I agree. Because Alligator is a masterpiece, um, and his entire review is about Moriarty. It, Siskel's review is entirely about Moriarty. My favorite review that's not about Moriarty was by a guy named Jim Wright, and I'm going to read this quote, and then we'll move on <laughs> to the movie. Um, it said, "Q may not rank with M or even Z, but is it an effective parody of a genre where myth overpowers logic, dubious special effects are more than or more convincing than the cast, and the monsters write roughshed over the mortal man?" And I thought that was funny. Like it is, it is, yeah. It's probably the third best single-digit movie ever made. Uh, I can't think of AM. Yeah, I, I, I don't know any other ones. Uh, M's a very good film. So M is great. I don't, what's Z? I don't know Z, Z by, is by, by name. It's a, Z's a weird. We'll talk later. Z's a weird movie. <laughs> okay. We, 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 let's move on to Q. So if you haven't seen Q, spoilers for the movie, um, watch Q. It's a masterpiece. And I don't know if we'll go over everything because we've already been talking about, about an hour. <laughs> but uh, everything about this movie is great. I the opening, the opening murder. I think Q really is interesting because when you first when the movie first starts, it's almost like a slasher. Like yeah, you, I mean, I just feel like this movie. I, I'm just gonna sell this movie. So the movie opens such a banger. Okay, it opens with a guy washing a window, and a lady inside the office. And right away, you've got conflict because the window washer is there, and the lady is is antagonistic to him because guess what? This guy is just—he's knocking on the window. He's making an ass of himself, and he's so happy because like, oh my god, I'm washing a window in front of a pretty lady. She's not naked or anything. She's like, she's. She's trying to do her job. And he's like, oh, oh, I love washing windows. I love, I love this lady. I love you. I love you. And then a monster oh, eats his you. fucking head. It's, a monster eats his fucking you head. You don't see it. <laughs> and the best is it cuts it cuts to, d- to the street with uh, uh, Sha- uh with Roundtree and Carradine. And um, he's like, well, I, something must have, you know, 
fallen and knocked his head off. And um, Bottom Tree's like, well, there's no broken windows up there. It's like, well, oh shit, maybe his head just got loose and fell off. What the, what the fuck you want from me? I don't know. <laughs> and then later on, someone asks, uh, have you found that guy's head yet? It'll turn up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's good shit. And then you get a few more murders like that. You get the the um, the one that you saw earlier, the, the construction worker. There's the, the topless sunbather. Uh, yeah, and the funny thing about that scene is that you get you get lots of shots of the lady because you know Larry Cohen's like, well, I've got a naked lady in this movie. I'm, I'm going to put her. I'm going to get the camera right up in there. But you also get a guy on a rooftop somewhere staring at her, mm-hmm. and he also like the window washer. He's the happiest fucking man in the city, man. He is. He he literally does a fist pump. He's like, yes. Yeah, once he takes yes! the top off, he's like fucking yeah. score. Yeah, that was that he was is hilarious. so excited. And then yes. like. Like the opposite of that, the opposite of that, way later in the movie, totally random scene. There's a bunch of ladies in bikinis, and a dude is there, and the one lady's doing push ups. And this <laughs> I guy, love this scene, yeah. yeah, the guy is just counting her doing push ups, and he's fucking bored. He's like, Ugh, 34, 35, I'm so glad you invited me here, Susan. 38, yeah. 39, I'd love watching you do push ups, Susan. You know what? I'm getting the pool. This is boring. He jumps the pool immediately. Immediately killed by monster. Like yeah. the, the scene has no purpose except to give you a little bit of New York flavor, and it just it's fantastic. Every it's all these little act all again. I'm sorry, I did it again. All these little scenes with little little characters and actors just running there. It's like no, no, no. I'm here. You're like again. I can't undersell the construction guy. Mm-hmm. It's a scene, it's like, it's a minute long, and you will remember this guy. You will remember this guy, you will remember this character. It's it's like a, it's like a Saturday Live skit almost, you know? Yeah. He's mad, that, he's mad that people stole his lunchbox. And like, you know what? They did steal his lunchbox. They stole his goddamn lunch, the the bastards. Yes. <laughs> yes. But do, throughout all of this, we we're at, the movie starts with a lot of um, decapitation and death, but then it, it completely changes tone because we get to meet, Mike, we get to meet Michael Moriarty's character, Quinn, who is kind of a just a loser? Yeah, want to yes. be criminal? Who wants to be a wheelman for a gang? And they make him do the heist with them, and it goes wrong. And as the heist goes wrong, he loses the money, the diamonds, or whatever. Yeah, he's the only one who gets away, and he gets mm-hmm. away with the money. But because they took his car keys, because the, to make him get in the get into the job, he has to run away. And then he runs right into a goddamn taxi, and he drops the bag into in the goddamn Canal Street, which is one of the busiest streets of, of downtown New York city. And it's like, no, the money's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, and, yeah, the, the people who hired him to make the job, they still know he, he went on the job. So they they, they try to get him later. It's like everything for this guy goes wrong. Like I said, yes. you know, we talked about earlier, he tries to get the piano job, doesn't get the piano job. He tries to get this job with the, the heist. He loses the money. He gets hit by a goddamn taxi. Like everything about this guy is like, he's a loser. He's a loser. The only thing good in his life, honestly, the best thing in his life is his girlfriend, and even she can barely stand him sometimes. And, you know, it's, he's the kind of guy who, f- you know, finding a giant monster's nest is what is the best thing that ever happens to him. Yes, because he's <laughs> on the run from the cops. He go, ducks into the Chrysler building, ends up on the roof, finds the monster nest. Then later on, when the robbers come out, the other robbers come after him, uh, and they're going to they're gonna kill him. Yeah. He says, no, I, I, hid, I hid the stash, I hid the stash. Takes him up there. To get eaten by the by the bird, uh, by the by the winged serpent, and he just says, he, "I love it." He just yells, "Eat him, eat him, crunch, crunch." Uh, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. I never killed anybody. I didn't do it. I have self defense. 
uh, to himself. And yeah. That's yeah. when he when he and then when he realizes what's going on. The, the, the main conflict of the film becomes Quinn knows where Q is. So, Q, so kind of backtracking. David Carradine is also investigating these flaying murders. Yeah, this is the weirdest. Like, this is almost like if you were to go over this movie and say, "How can we make this movie even tighter?" Like, I think you could probably ditch this entire subplot because it's the weirdest. It's like absolutely the weirdest thing in the movie. It's like, yeah, there's a. I don't know. There, I, I it gets like you bodies. Saying, it gets you dead bodies I, and some cool effects. But uh, I like so saying weird. the words "neo Aztec cult," <laughs> and so there's a neo Aztec cult murder. Um, committing not murder, not really. I mean, it is murder, but the it's the the willing sacrifices. To resurrect Q, the winged serpent, Quetzalcoatl. Yes. And as David Carradine is investigating that and hearing about these bizarre murders on rooftops, he starts to put two and two together. At the same time, Quinn knows where the monster is, but he's like, yo, fuck you, pay me. Yeah, and Uh, he's got good reason to, which is a wild scene later in the movie where he like actually... He actually unloads on the cops and... Oh, he's so good in that scene, yeah. Yeah. He's really emotive and he's he's like he's angry, but he's upset, but he's also triumphant because like now he's got the upper hand mm-hmm. and he accuses the NYPD of planning shit on him, which is like, I believe that. Yeah. And well, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene because that was a bum rep. That was a bum rep. The second one was a zip. The second one I did it, but the first one was a bum rep. Uh, I like that. He's honest. It's like, no, the second time I did it, that was my fault. The first time was you. And the scene where he meets with the police commissioner to to basically extort the city for a million dollars is also just a plus stuff. You know, uh, he wants a million dollars tax free. I never pay taxes in my entire life. I'm not going to start now. <laughs> and he wants a Nixon like pardon for yeah. all crimes before and after. Uh, <laughs> oh, so fun! And again, he's just selling it so well and david carradine is too david carradine's playing off of him very good they have a good rapport Uh, yeah the cops are rightly disgusted by him because he is he's absolutely taking advantage of the situation um he argues that his conscience is clean but they're like this whole time you haven't told us people have been dying you know what do you think about that he's like oh no i'm fine fine i'm pretty i'm protecting the city from the next guy and the next guy who dies the next guy who dies but it's like no you really you really did have people die from from your you know your omission. You know it's like you are responsible, but you're also like you're right to fuck the cops because the fox the cops probably fucked you. So it's like yeah. no one's and the cop and the no cops one's perfect. Have, yeah, no one's no one's totally right. No one's totally wrong. Quinn is an asshole, but he's right to get money for this. But he's also being wrong in how he's doing it, and just it's it's so great because like yeah, it's 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 just like everyone's a shade of gray here. Everyone's relatable. Everyone's a prick. Everyone's a douchebag, except Candy. Candy's the same. <laughs> Candy's great. Uh, I, I, because the key, the cops need him because they have no idea what Q is, which I think is hilarious that they can't find this giant winged serpent. My favorite, my, the fa- the best line in the movie though is not Michael Moriarty. It's the commissioner when <laughs> he's talking about they don't know where the, they don't know where it is, and he's like, with a wingspan like that, the thing could fly in New York every day. And it would do that, of course, you know, because New York is famous for good eating. Yeah, it is. is that's, gr- that's true. That's oh, true. That, that's a great line. <laughs> he finally does get what he wants. He tells him where the monster is. Uh, at the same time, they're still investigating the murders. Uh, an undercover mime. <laughs> yeah, the mime cop. 
The mind Wait, Amadeus t-shirt. Amadeus t-shirt. Hashtag mind cop. Hashtag mind cop. <laughs> my favorite scene in a, my my every time I watch this movie, which is frequently. Uh my my friend Steve in America, he loves the so- he loves the shot of all of them in the car with the mime. <laughs> and which is this is a great shot. And every time that shot happens, every time I watch the movie, I take a picture of the TV with that shot and I text it to my friend in America. Uh, <laughs> with no context. I, I love that. And I love that is unfortunately when Richard Roundtree gets eaten after the kite first the kite hits him, and you're like, oh no, he's okay, and then nope. Yeah, he gets a kite. A kite jump scare, and then the monster. Like, within three seconds. <laughs> I love how the mime cop can't say anything. That's so funny. Because yeah, he, he, he clearly a, talks. Yeah, he goes on a face journey, though. He goes on a face He's like, ooh. <laughs> and I like how he's, 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 not a, he's, not, he's an undercover cop. He's not a mime. But he's still miming, and he's getting tips. And so somebody asked, how did you do today? Oh, not so good. Well, probably the serpent. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, just little things like that. Um... And so, so many little things like that. And then they go back. And I feel like, like, I love this movie. I give this movie five stars. But once they know where the serpent is, it does start to feel a little rushed. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the end. I got to yeah. say, one of the, and one of the weirdest things for me, and, and, you know, tell me if I'm crazy here. They have this scene where they're at a coffee shop and it's just, it's just carrot. It's just, you know, it's Kill Bill and Quinn at the coffee shop and they're talking and they're chatting and it's a great scene. And Shaft comes in and Shaft threatens him. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get him to talk. I'm going to tell us what it is. And it, there's a weird, it cuts to Moriarty for like a half second. And then it cuts the briefcase. Yeah. And he's told yeah. him and he's got the money. And then like almost immediately the next scene is, okay, we're in the crash building and we're, we found the giant egg and we're shooting, we're shooting the giant egg. And it's like, it feels like something was trimmed out of there or, totally. you know, was, 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 was expurgated. And then it's like, yeah, there's weird stuff because, like, they find it. Like, they did it. But then Carradine's a prick to him anyway. It's like, oh, yeah, well, well, we didn't find the monster. So, yeah, you got to give us the money back. It's like, what are you talking about? And mm-hmm. then the monster comes back. And then they kill the monster. It's like, okay, so he did his job. Like, he did it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. And then, the, yeah, and then it comes back to the killings again because, oh, whoops, we didn't get the, we didn't get the killer, but he got you. He found you. So we have a we have one final scene where the killer tries to kill Quinn. And this is probably the most agitated. This is the funniest thing. This is the most agitated David Carradine is in the entire movie. Yeah, because he shoots. He shoots the guy. He doesn't die. He shoots him like five times. That pisses him off. Like this yeah. guy's hard to die. It's like this the worst thing die. you do in this movie. The worst thing you do, the NYPD, is have the indignity to eat more bullets than they want to expend on you. <laughs> yes, and. I, I I love the look of Q, but during the final confrontation, you can tell he did not have enough money for that. And mm. it's a lot of sweeping sweep sweeping shots of the Chrysler building and some bad uh maybe rotoscoping and some bad composite shots and there is some great shots of cops being flown off the building, that's pretty great. I love all but the stop motion, yeah. Like stop like motion's the- amazing, but the com- the the compositing's not always good. Uh, I just there's so many little scenes where it's like Especially when the, the, there's a there's a cop outside. I don't know. Again, why would you do this? They put a cop outside the Chrysler building in a little basket, and like, of course, the monster kills that guy. Of course, the monster kills him. But like, you get a stop motion, almost like a, it's almost like a Mr. Bill Saturday Live skit where it's like the monster <laughs> grabs him and just throws him, and they have a shot of the guy falling and like, and like claymation guy falling in New York City. It's just so yeah, absurd. Yeah, I love the the figures they use because they look like GI Joes. 
Yeah, it's it's or hilarious. Star Wars figures. It's pretty. It's pretty glaring, but it's it's cute. It's cute. And the monster's great. The monster. The monster's amazing. The monster's the always monster. good. And uh, you know, the monster dies his ignominious death, and but there's another there's another egg for a sequel that never happens. Um, yes, which by the way. Let's talk about that. So there's an, the whole thing. Really, the movie is about the monster and the, and the egg. The egg is kind of the big plot here. Mm-hmm. So years later, Larry Cohen rightly pointed out that American Godzilla, 1998 Godzilla, kind of ripped him off. Yeah, because that movie's got a whole egg subplot, and it's bad. And Cohen has a great quote here. It's the exact same scene at the end of the hundred fifty dollar, hundred fifty million dollar Godzilla picture. Gee. If I had that kind of money, I could have made 150 movies. Yeah, he could have too. I believe <laughs> he could have. him. Yes. He could have. They would have been better. He would have made better have movies better than Emmerich. Yeah. Than, 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 than Dean Devlin and Warren Emmerich films, yes. But, you oh. know, if for a movie that's like, we talked more about the making of the movie than the movie because not a lot really happens. It's a very simple movie. Mike, there's a, there's a monster. A guy knows what the monster is. He harangues the city to get money for the mo- to find out where the monster is. They find the monster. Oh yeah, and there's a murderer. And it kind of just it's a lot of flavor. Like the movies, it's it's very hard for me to talk about because a lot of it is this flavor. Like you don't really. We keep saying how good Michael Moriarty is in this. You really don't understand it until you really see just what he's doing with this role. And the famous quote about the movie that Ebert always used to say. And it's on the Wikipedia page too. Is they were at, I forget where it was, but Samuel Z. Zarkoff, the producer, was talking to Rex Reed. And Reed said, talked about Q. He said, all that Drek. And right in the middle of it, a great performance of Michael Moyarty. And Arkoff said, the Drek was my idea. Yeah. Just, yes. Like, and, but that's, that is the, the movie is basically like, a lot of weird ideas kind of pasted together with a lot of flavor, a lot of character development, a lot of interesting side things, but with a plot that you could describe from beginning to end in maybe three sentences. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's high. It's, it's, well, I should say it's almost high concept. The monster part is high concept, but really what the bulk of the story about is about Quinn and finding the nest and, and him sort of, dealing with that and, and, and dealing with the cops. Like that part is less high concept, but the idea yeah. of <laughs> flying monster in New York city, that's high concept. And that, that sort of gets you in the door. And then you're, once you're in there, it's like, okay, this movie's kind of about other stuff, which I want to bring up because this comes up a lot in the scenes where David Carradine, he goes to museum first, then he goes to Columbia university and he's talking to like, you know, some egghead guys mm-hmm. and they're giving him like history lessons and talk about, you know, how the monster might actually be an ancient race and how people worshipped it for centuries. And it really touches upon some themes that I think, I think Larry Cohen might've been to- toying with, with in, uh, in God told me to mm. sort of this, these ideas of, of faith and what is God really like there's some really great yeah. lines that the professor guy, wh- where's that line from the professor guy? He says, um, what else is God, but an invisible force that we fear. For centuries, we tried to make it into our image. Give God two legs, a pair of hands, lips, eyes. Perhaps it's only our vanity. So <laughs> it's kind of like there's at least an, an idea. And we don't – It's the movie doesn't really say one way or the other. It, it, it does imply that there is a connection between the killer and the monster. It makes sense. But it's, yeah. But it's never implicit. The monster and the killer certainly never meet. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the monster doesn't kill people for, for the guy. The, the the guy never really sees the monster. 
So it's like, you don't know. Is this monster an ancient being brought back by prayers? Is it a, is it a divine creation? They certainly kill it, which, you know, as, as I think David Carey at one point, it's like, oh, if I can kill it, it's not a god, uh, which is, you know, kind of funny. Know. <laughs> but I feel like some of these ideas, I think, are left over from maybe from God told me to. Or like, what is what is God? What is faith? What is what are you know, what are prayers? What, what are the point of these things? And I think these themes, I think, make the movie a little bit more interesting. And the fact that the movie doesn't actually tell you a definitive answer, I think, also makes it fun. Um, that part, I think. I like that bit much more than the the killing stuff, even though there are some really cool special effects shots where they like they they stab a guy who's like clearly an act like an actor with a fake body. So they can just stab they can stab a fake body while the real head is there. Like yeah. some really cool stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love that Larry Cohen, you know, as a as a person maybe who has some issues and conflicts about religion, those manifest in a film about uh, aliens making people kill people and a movie about a giant uh, monster on top of the classic building of these people. Yeah, and I mean, you could probably <laughs> even argue that I, that it's alive. It even has some religious aspects too, just because of the the, the family aspect and you know what's mm-hmm. your reproductive. You know, what what what's your family? What's you know what does it mean to have a kid? Uh, you know, our our kids, our kids, our future, that kind of stuff. Like again, I think that's a running theme. A lot of these movies. Whatever the concept is, whatever the whatever the the, the draw is, the, whatever's in the poster that gets your attention, you sit down. It's like, oh, this movie's got a lot of stuff going on in it. It's it's these movies are very interesting, and they're fun, and they're entertaining, and they're not all great, but man, they're good. <laughs> they're they're good to watch. They're yeah, really watchable. Just, yeah. yeah, I do want to check out more Cohen films. I, I want to see Full Moon High, which is. Sounds sounds shockingly like uh, Teen Wolf, but a few years earlier. Um, I want to see a movie called Perfect Strangers of no relation to the TV show Perfect Strangers. And I, I do want to first right that movie predates the film predates the that show movie right came out in eighty four. That's that's very close. It's yeah, yeah, it's very close. And I, I want to see out of morbid curiosity, I want to see Wicked Stepmother, which is I believe Betty Davis's last film. Uh, hmm. And uh, Larry Cohen hates that movie, um, but I, I am curious about that one. And of course, now I really want to find a copy of See China and Die <laughs> because I just like the movie called <laughs> just the name alone. He also made another TV movie, uh, a murder mystery with Crystal Bernard, Tracy Lords, and Judge Reinhold. What I just. I called as good as dead. I'm sure that's not very good, but it's all again a hell of a cast. Uh, yeah. Um, who knows? Larry Cohen is a master. This, you know, we need more. We need more filmmakers like Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen, like I said, he's in that wheelhouse of of Walter Hill, or maybe uh, what's his name, Frank Helen Helen Lauder, who did Basket Case. Uh, yeah. Kind of. I guess as long as as long as we're talking about that those concepts, I, I just I gotta give a shout out here because you know he a lot of these movies are shot in and around New York City, and Q especially has just great New York energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot again, a lot of the street scenes you can tell. Like I'm watching the movie, I could tell right away where the robbery was. Like I yeah. knew exactly the, the I knew the exact street it was on. You know, and you see, you see, um, Quinn escapes his apartment and he's running, he's running down the streets. Like, oh, he's, he's in Chinatown. He's in little Italy. You know, you, you could, you could tell what neighborhoods these, these people are, are, are living in. 
all the actors are probably just, you know, they hired, they got a bunch of local people to like, here, do one scene, do one scene, mm-hmm. pretend something hits you, pretend something hits you and, and, and look yeah. up at the sky. Yeah. Um, which I would say the only, that's right. The only unrealistic movie, un- unrealistic part of this entire movie is there's a montage of New Yorkers being upset that something hit them from the sky and they're scared. It's like, no, 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 no. When you walk around New York city, if something falls on you, you, you can get angry. You can curse. One guy says shit. Like, that's the only realistic guy. I don't care if it's blood. You're just like, ah, oh, fuck. What the, ah, oh, fuck. Fuck me. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's it. No, uh, the old lady who's, who's, who's looks up and she's like emoting. No, 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 no. No, no, Where'd no, they no. get her? Where is she from Jersey? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I, we got to wrap it up because like, I got stuff to do today. I'm sorry. But uh, yes, yes. Me too. You said, again, it's on Sutter. Other ways to watch it. Fantastic, amazing movie. And watch more Larry Cohen films and watch er, watch more Michael Moriarty up until about 1987. And then you can bounce. Uh, but anyway, Diamond, thank you so much for doing this. My favorite movie. Oh, before that, before I, we get to our outros, again, a programming note. I don't know when this episode is going up, and I don't know when the next one's going up because I don't know how long my recovery will be from my medical maladies. So whenever you're listening to this, thank you. And the next one will be up sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I'll be up. I'll be happy to come back anytime. If you need me to help uh, help out with editing sometime, let me know because no, I, I really enjoy uh, coming on the show and and talk about movies. Because yeah, this the conversation around this movie got me to watch a bunch of other Larry Cohen movies because I mm-hmm. wanted to do my homework. I wanted to be do my due diligence and yes. watch a bunch of movies this week. And all of them, again, I didn't love all of them, but. I enjoyed watching all of them, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm happy to hear it. So, good. So, Diamond, as per usual, where can they find you online? Yep, I'm all over the internet. You can look up look up the uh, the code, the key name. <laughs> I, I missed miss it up. The key word. The key word is based upon my name, Fight Club. F-E-I-T. That's my last name. C-L-U-B. That's a word you already know. So go ahead and put that into whatever, whatever search search engine you want to look up. Social media, you can find me there. I love movie. Letterbox. I def I've mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of movies. I watched a movie every day last year. I'm I've got a pretty good streak going this year so far. Not every day, but like you know, we're we're in February recording this, and you know, I'm well past well past uh you know thirty movies. So and I know I know James, you've got double that, but I'm just saying. For you know, for most people, they don't watch thirty movies in in two months. So, well, I, 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 my, my, yeah. As, <laughs> I just, as I said in the last episode, I'm really going hard on Letterbox this year because it's, it's really it's a good resource for this, and mm. it's just fun and it's a great way to find movies. Like for example, I use Tubi to look for B movies. Tubi's a streaming service, and I'll look it up. And if Madeline, hi Madeline, if Madeline has watched it and given it four stars, I know it's a good fucking movie. So yeah, that's how I I use. Uh, letterbox as of right as of as of this is sad as of february 15th at 11 o'clock in the morning i have watched 62 <laughs> fucking movies this year now i love the time code because yeah there's a really good chance before this day is over you'll watch one or two more movies i'll watch one today probably <laughs> but then tomorrow i'm in the hospital without so tomorrow i go to the hospital for the surgery the next day because that's how they that's how they roll in japan so I imagine tomorrow to help starve off nonstop anxiety attacks, I will probably be wa- I will probably watch at least four movies, um, if I can get my VPN working in the hospital. <laughs> um, 
If not, I broke my switch. But anyway, yes, I am on Letterboxd as Lost Turntable. Lost Turntable. I am on everything as Lost Turntable, LostTurntable.com, and Lost Turntable on YouTube. Uh, again, Diamond, thank you for doing this. This is another episode of Cinema Oblivia. We'll be back again at some point for another episode. Until then, take care.